Hi, this is Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds. Today, I'm joined by Jian Lee and Cody Taylor, the chefs and owners of Heirloom Market Barbecue in Atlanta, Georgia. Our interview went super long, so I'm going to break this into two parts. Hope you enjoy. So why barbecue and why the name Heirloom Market Barbecue? Barbecue was something that Jen and I connected with. And it was something I was passionate about. I enjoyed, it was something I could afford to do on my days off from the the fine dining things. I would just jump in the car and drive around the South and go. And, you know, it was a hobby for a long time. I probably went to 400 barbecue restaurants over, you know, my lifetime before heirloom. It was quite a bit. And it was, you know, I saw it kind of brought people together. It's kind of that congregation of people coming together thing. And the really good ones are really great, you know, and I always, like what makes it unique, what makes it regional, some of the history behind it, you know, and being from Texas and Tennessee and Georgia, I think for me, people could, would associate, associate me with a barbecue, you know, world. Um, I don't know if I opened up a French bistro, if that would be the same kind of, you know, Oh, we could not afford. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We couldn't afford the bathroom. We couldn't afford, you know. Actually, you know, be honest with you, before we opened this barbecue restaurant, we could only afford either burger joint or barbecue with the existing condition with that, that uh, the restaurant, the heirloom spot too. And also I was, maybe Cody is Cody the same, but I have so much passion on a fine dining. And I actually, be honest with you, I actually looked down on uh, the barbecue. So when he asked me, uh, I want to do barbecue and I was like, okay, you do it. I can help whenever I have a time, you know, that kind of situation. I was like, I have a goal. I have a passion on this. And, you know, I want to be a, like a world well-known chef one day, you know, I have that like a big head mind and um, like that. And then I guess this is a fate or something, you know, it's just, it happened this way and I started we started the barbecue restaurant and see how barbecue is difficult in making a consistently good quality. It is still very, very hard. We have a good day. We have a bad day. Mm-hmm. I, we wish we have, a, we have a good day every day. But sometimes, sometimes smoker broke down. Sometimes the wood is too wet. Sometimes, you know, this is all does, uh, the situation, weather and the meat. Sometimes the ribs deliver like so thin, sometimes too thick, brisket, same. It's a different sizes. You know, it's every day is a challenge. And I found like, wow, the barbecue is such a difficult technique. And Cody's masterly, but I'm still, you know, I'm still learning and I'm not, I'm not, that's not my, I'm, I mean, sorry about that, but this is not my, my area of comfort zone. It's not my, my area. Well, but that's why you guys do it though. He does the meats. You know, we just did mm-hmm. that story together for Eater Atlanta, where we went shopping with you. And you, it's a great story. If anybody wants to learn to make some of um, her banchan inspired side dishes at heirloom. That's definitely how heirloom came together. I was pushing her to, melding with my background and i was like you know i had the idea i was like all the banchan side dishes would just lighten up barbecue in general um 
and really balances with the smoke and the, the seasoning and everything like that. And I was like, this is perfect because Korean barbecue started to come up more into the national focus around that time too. Now, even more now, but back then I was looking as like, you know, it's so unique, just all the side dishes. And that was really what she was great at. And uh, it made us be ourselves. We weren't trying to be Texas. We weren't trying to be Georgia. Heirloom Market was us just being ourselves, you know? And with her, it once again, it made sense. And I guess we were kind of the first ones to do the, you know, putting, you know, Asian into barbecue. And that's what I wanted to say, because some of the influences came into the meats, right? Like gochujang and some of the seasoning. And it really gave you guys a very unique perspective in Atlanta barbecue, which is another thing I want to discuss, just the Atlanta barbecue scene, because I feel like to understand how impactful you guys were, you know, for a lot of people that live outside of Georgia, Georgia doesn't really have, at least people from Georgia say, Georgia doesn't really have one style of barbecue. You know, we're really a melting pot. Style. Well, especially that Atlanta. The, yeah, especially yeah. Atlanta. And especially at the time, there weren't a lot of options. You know, this was before I feel like Franklin was like cult status even. But you guys coming onto the scene, I feel pushed a lot of other people to think outside the barbecue box. And I feel like it was a really crucial tipping point for the Atlanta barbecue scene in addition to, you know, just the impact it made in the culinary world. Can you talk to that? I mean, I know I just jumped around, but it is about that response from the community, right? And also finding your place in that scene. Yeah, I mean, considering we didn't have much money, it was pretty risky to start off doing spicy Korean pork sandwiches and crispy tofu. We had, before we became more recognized, we had people walk up, look at our special board and leave just because of some of the things that were on there. It wasn't recognizable. It wasn't recognizable because they see the barbecue sign, but then they were like, okay, why is there tofu on the menu? And I just felt like if we were going to be able to to survive the the startup the startup business being unique and being ourselves was really the answer the first week we were leaning towards doing like tex-mex kind of barbecue which because i was going to mainly be in the kitchen but we got busy because of your uh, blog so jian came over <laughs> and we, we were kind of i was already playing with gochujang uh on the pork and stuff like that because it worked such great as a rub and we learned that from our trip, the TV show we did in Korea. What's we, we show? I need to go find the show. What was the name of the show, June? It's in, it's, it's basically where are they now show kind of something like that. Cause they, they wanted, uh, they always wanted like how I live in America and they're always, you know, digging, like want to talk about the past and stuff. But I, I, I told them, uh, you gotta focus on food. Then I do it. That's why the show end up like more like you know, Dude. traveling with the food and stuff. And we had a cook, we had a cook for some of the famous people there. You were like, basically they'd be the equivalent of like Madonna and you said Iggy Pop. You remember we did that tasting? So Christoph and Jeon and I, we had to do some courses and we ended up marinated pork and gochujang and kind of did the French uh, with the gochujang. And that was the first time we ever did it. And that was, you know, a year before we had opened up Heirloom. And it just kind of, mm -hmm. It kind of that stuck in my head. Everybody loved it. 
and it kind of stuck in my head and we, we, uh, started playing with it at heirloom and, um, it worked. Also, this barbecue restaurant is on an access road, kind of near the highway in the middle of a pretty, at least at the time, uh, you know, it was like pretty Southern, predominantly white, you know, this was like before the Braves moved over there. And I mean, Mm -hmm. like when I was growing up, it was like the only place you could go have Japanese food, Umezona, and the tomato Mm -hmm. grocery was there. My mom would take us. It was, and that was like a gem. That was a long time ago, too. That was a long time ago. folks, and we're like these Mexicans mm-hmm. eating like fried catfish at Po folks. My mom would like take her chilies out of her pocket. But mm-hmm. um, it was like a really different concept for the area. Mm-hmm. So, like, why do you think people took to it so much? And why do you think that you have become since such an institution? Um, I mean, there's a lot of elements for that, but the basic thing, my philosophy as a cook, always food has got to be good, no matter what. Before you saying the name of the dish or style of the dish or technique, if somebody's just blind or then then try the food, it's got to be tasty. So we were focused on flavor. It wasn't like try to, you know, make, try to cooperate these two ingredients like that. It's got to be make sense. And exactly. So when we cook together, when we're using the ingredients, let's always uh, find some, just naturally found some connections between. I think example, heirloom collard green. When, when Cody first time asked me, uh, I mean, he was busy. He was dealing with the meat and all kinds of stuff. And he asked me, I was still working at the hotel. So I was just helping him basically. And he asked me, Jion, can you make a uh, collard green? So I was like, oh, I never, never made collard green before. Okay. I don't know what to do. Um, but I know the taste of collard green because he took me so many barbecue restaurants and Southern, Southern restaurants. Immediately, you know, like, oh, every time I eat collard green, I remember it, it remind me of my grandmother cooking greens in Korea. We dehydrated the greens from uh, the daikon tips. We call it mu, mu chung, and they dehydrate it. And then in wintertime, they make a soup out of it. And they put doenjang, you know, lots of garlic and but it tastes like a collard green, very similar. So I did it just like my grandmother did it, you know, put denjang in it. And I know mm-hmm. there's aesthetic, so I put some uh, rice vinegar. And so I made it, uh, I make the collard green with, with, my, with my memories. And the, that flavor I remember from the Southern restaurants. And it came out pretty nice. And people really, if, if somebody, if I don't say anything about the ingredients, they will not recognize there's a benzang, you know? So it, it, it's gotta be make sense. We never really cook, uh, sit down and, hey, let's make some fusion. You know, we never do that. We still never do that. It's something when I, when we cook something and adding, before adding something, we know this is going to be good with this. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, I, I, I just, let's, let's just try. Let, I mean, we, we test stuff too, but we just know this flavor and this flavor will go well. 
if not, we don't, we're not just mixing up and, you know, and it's gotta understand each other's each, each, uh, if we mix American food and Korean food, need to understand both cultures and both flavors, then you can create something makes sense. You know, if somebody's just like, okay, I'm going to add this also, and I want to call this Korean fusion. You can't do that. And then it, you make really confusion food, you know? Yeah, like confusion. So, waiting for yeah. You said that was right. before, but it is, it's confusion. The past couple of years have been, you know, confusing um, mm -hmm. and crazy. Uh, we've, we've dealt with the pandemic. I'd like to talk to how, talk to you guys about how that has affected your business. Yeah, with COVID, I mean, <sighs> I don't know how to say it, but in a sense, with our small little convenience store restaurant, and ever since around 2013, 2014, we took all our chairs out of the restaurant because the DOT came and the commissioner of Cobb County came and said that we were causing a traffic problem out in the road. So we wanted to go only from that time. And that was a little bit blessing in disguise because, you know, six years later, when COVID came, we already had somewhat of a business model that was COVID friendly. People respected what we put into go boxes already. So we didn't have to change as much as a lot of our friends did. And not having chairs, no alcohol, we weren't as adversely affected at the very beginning. At the very beginning, we actually had to hire people because we got busy. And it was a really a blessing. We got so busy. We were able to keep all our staff. And as COVID kind of waned on, yeah, our business has definitely been affected just like everybody else. We lost a lot of our catering business. I mean, that's what we were able to keep our staff for such a long time because we pay well. Hmm. We have consistent hours. They have their two days off. Nobody has, nobody's overly worked or overly stressed. Yeah. And a lot of that was, a lot of that was, because we had a good catering business in that area up where we are. We lost a lot of our lunch business where we had all the lines, you know, because we have Home Depot and Coca-Cola and the Weather Channel and BMW and all these big companies right there. Well, nobody's going to the office anymore. Mm. So our dinner business got better because people would order and eat at home. And thank goodness by this time, we weren't a new business and we were established with a lot of regulars. But now we see, you know, just the, the amount of costing business-wise, it's gotten very, very difficult to, to, to keep the prices. You know, we're kind of that casual, you know, that roadside shack, as, as you know it is. And it's hard to charge what we need to charge to be able to pay what we want to pay our people because paper's gone up. Every aspect of everything is, I mean, I would say since 2016, everything has doubled. And it's, you know, especially hyper in the last year. So that's been a little bit of a struggle. We've recently raised prices and people have understood. Thank goodness we have a lot of regulars that, you know, still trust and support us. And we were nervous about raising prices, but I would say for the last six months, we were breaking even, even though we were busy. I mean, busy enough, you know, but the cost was so bad that we didn't want to raise prices at a time that would scare off too many people, but then we finally had to do it, you know, and you guys it's use gone. Good ingredients. I mean, you're not, yeah, exactly. Like, you guys aren't using like bottom of the barrel stuff when it comes it, to produce exactly. either. 
Yeah. And it's um, and it's hard to, it's hard to get the quality and like we have Buford Highway delivers to us. We go through so much gochujang and just the prices on some of the crane ingredients, you know, that we were going through a ton of, but the prices went up so high. It's been pretty, you know, it's been a challenge, but you know, when I see my other friends and I talk to them and my chef friends and owners and all that and what they, you know, their pivots and they're going to, to goes and doing pop up random, you know, really like rolling with the punches. I feel we've been, we've been good about it and we've been able to retain all our staff in that kind of any hours ever. And that's, that, that's and we actually gave, yeah. we actually gave everybody raises a few months ago, even though, because we normally do every year and we, even though our profit was really low and everything, we still felt like it was necessary, you know? And so we had just had to raise prices to, to handle really paying our people more. I mean, our kind of what they come to expect from us as owners. It's really hard, uh, the running business, like this kind of situation. For small business, especially the restaurant, the people don't see something that people only see like labor costs and food cost, but there's a repairing cost. It's, it's huge. There's always break. I don't know. I don't know why, but it's always break. Even dumpster services went up too. There's not one item went up. And so it's, it's, a, it's very hard maintaining um, the employees and their lives, their life, quality of life. It's a huge responsible. It's just, Sometimes I want to just drop, be honest with you, that the pressure is, it's so, so hard. But, you know, what I feel they say, like, this is surviving mode. It's not like a making money time. We had a good time, but now it's a surviving time. Um, it's very different now. But still, you know, I'm very grateful. Like Amor Mia Orino and Candy Hom, like they told me that you guys have like a group text where you all just kind of like bitch or something like that. Oh, you're, you're Asian, you're Asian My click. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. They're like a little gang. No, but we I are the gang that is the support <laughs> place for you guys, you know? I mean, like Mia was like, telling her, she's like sometimes I just like, like, you can't take it anymore. There's like tons of bunch, you know. I mean, it's good to have a support system, and you guys do oh, yes. have a good support system in Atlanta. Definitely, definitely. Because the restaurant industry, we are facing the same issue. No matter what, it's a high end restaurant or the low end restaurant, it doesn't matter. We're all facing the same problem. So we understand how hard, and especially a situation like this. Um, so we all, especially as a female chefs are always, you know, we have our, you know, our bitching things. <laughs> you know, this, this. We'll be back after a quick break with the rest of my interview with Cody and Jiang. Well, it's not it's, like, I mean, but they're all like very powerful <laughs> women. I mean, oh, yeah. they were part of, Absolutely. of Asian mm -hmm. culinary creators because it wasn't just chefs it was pastry chefs or people making dumplings mm -hmm. and you guys banded together mm -hmm. to do that box to raise mm -hmm. money to fight asian hate can you talk about what that group of women means to you and the work that you guys were doing because i feel like i don't think i've ever since i've been covering restaurants seen such a collection 
of BIPOC <laughs> chefs, you know, it was like, I mean, it's cool because like, listen, every time it's something like that, it's like all like, no offense, Cody, like all white dudes with like beards, you know? And it was just really neat to see like this evolution also. It, it was not only for charity, but also just a real amazing representation of where we are as a culinary town. Oh, uh, we're trying to be wise. You know, this, this game is very tough. So let's play wisely. That's the, that's the thing. If we work together and we, we can win this game, but if we against each other, we're going to lose. We know that. So we support each other. Whoever needs some help, you know, at the group chat, we always say, oh, somebody having like, I, I need some, I need, uh, I have a short staff. And do you know somebody? You know, we always chatting, chatting each other. That really, it's, a, it's a, how do I say? It's a mentally big support. It's somebody behind, somebody just back for me. And we just, each, we do that each other. Whoever needs some help, we help. And cross-promoting. That's a huge thing too with, through the social media. Social media, what I see a lot of people using, promoting themselves. But I think social media is so powerful to cross-promoting other people. If somebody needs some voice out there, we can help, you know? It's not just me, 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 me. Oh, I do this, I do this. Oh, my life is so beautiful. Oh, I'm so beautiful. Instead of that, you have so many, so many followers. Use that power for someone else need help. That's why we kind of started like that way. Like each individual has followers. Some of, some of them has a lot, some of them not. But together, we want to raise a voice. Let's, we can do together. And it's such a powerful and loud, get louder, you know? And that's why the, that uh, gathering started, actually. And it really helpful. And also, it, also uh, for me, uh, you mentioned it earlier that uh, the crime um, towards the Asian. But, you know, what I see is, what I, what I feel is saying, um, there's against, I mean, there's so many voices like against each other about racism and things. And I just want to feel like this. It should be fair for anybody. We can't just say, oh, this chef is a white male. Oh, shouldn't, you know, been so much advantage. I don't think that way. If somebody, either woman or man or black or white or yellow, somebody who works so hard need to get reward. Hmm. I don't want like, because there's some, um, so much movement this day, just kind of like bully on somebody, some race, some that I don't think it's right. I don't think it's, it's a fair. Somebody working hard, I don't, you know, be honest with you, I don't like lazy people. Doesn't matter what color it is or, or male or female. I don't like lazy people. And I admire whoever working hard, you know, so should nobody should um attack or in hate because of the how they look and you know when i'm thinking like this and then sometimes I, I feel really get angry like um but 
I understand. I understand. There's, it's been there's some systems as a female chef. You know, like the industry is very hard for female, and I was very uh, uncomfortable about it. But I'm kind of getting now. Like there's certain things like physically, female. I'm short, and I can't reach something on in the in high area, and I'm not physically. Stronger than someone else, like males. But I have a brain. I use my brain. I use my creativity instead of that. It's, it's such a. It, this is orchestra. It's a harmony. Somebody. We need strength, and we need dedication too. You know. It's, it, this is a harmony. We gotta. We gotta encourage each other and and their each strength. It's not like. Oh, this is this industry sucks because it's a male dominated. Because we need male, we need strong males. We can't just like, oh, this is we want to change because of this. It's so I feel like there is it. The amount of attention has been unequal. I mean, for years, meaning that you know, women really haven't had their place. Like I mean, like you said a really hard industry for women like i remember when i was starting out they used to call like they were like you should just go to pastry i heard that go all the time <laughs> you know and they, and they're like oh you know you oh, the, oh the pace we're the ballerinas of the kitchen and i remember my first job cheerleader and, <laughs> cheerleader and it, it was uh, my first stage out of dca california culinary academy was at a french restaurant that served moulfrit I mean, I remember I was the only girl in that kitchen when I started. And the French dude was like, you got to have balls to work in here. You got to be like, man, you know? And I mean, it mm -hmm. was not a great first impression of working in the industry. And, and I do think that because it was so difficult at the time for women and because the future of like having a family, which I wanted, like didn't look right, I ended up not staying in the culinary world also because you have to work really fucking hard to make it in the culinary. Oh yeah. On the level twice, that I thought I was going to make it on, you know, at the time. Twice, so. three times harder for, you know, someone for sure. Like we talked about today. I, I mean, I grew up in the industry and I've seen everything you talked about, you know, the, the male dominated classic brigade and the change and things. And like, for me, I try to go to be a baker sometimes, you know, in the mid two thousands and, do pastry uh, more focused because I always loved to do that. And people will see my resume and automatically force me into being a sous chef, you know, and the saucier and all that French training and whatever pasta stuff would come in. They would read my resume like, why are you want to do baking? I'm like, because I haven't been a full-time baker and it's something I would love to do. But I remember, you know, one of my first people that influenced me to go to culinary school and told me I had a shot to do something in the industry. It was at Lake Lanier and it was a very talented chef that, you know, basically he was just a restaurateur that opened up restaurants. But one of our prep cooks in the kitchen, Bernice, was a Mexican lady and she was probably the fifth highest paid out of eight. She'd been there like three years, but she was by far the strongest. So I was kind of an assistant manager uh, in the front of the house. And then I was uh, a line cook with her on busy Friday and Saturday nights and I run the middle or whatever. <clears throat> and I eventually got her promoted to being a kitchen manager, you know, and that's, I've always been a proponent if, if like she did the work and some of the best people I ever worked with in kitchens were 
were female chefs. The the Vietnamese ladies at the Ritz, they were amazing. And I still remember the French chef. I brought a girl from culinary school that was the most talented pastry girl at our school. She already had a lot of experience. Wouldn't hire, I think, basically because she was female, mm-hmm. you know? So it's I've seen both now. aspects of it. Yeah. Oh, it's totally different now. I mean, it's it's improved for the best, but like people getting recognition, I think if you get anybody that earns it, deserves it. And it, you shouldn't just, you know, like you said, like I know it was white male dominated. If you look at the the star chefs from back when Jim was talking about in 2006, it was it was all uh, 20 white dudes, Mihoko Obanai and Hector Santiago in that photo, you know? <laughs> and, uh, I went to his place yesterday and had a tofu burrito. I had not been to his guru pollo at Coda somehow, and he opened it at the beginning of the pandemic. I'm really but speaking of just like where we are now, like what's what's next for you guys? Do you have anything coming up you want to plug? Anything, any fundraisers that you're doing that you want to direct attention to? It can be anything personal. Gigi, you have anything you want to plug? Right now, not much. I have a get around. That's the that profit goes to Giving Kitchen. That is October, and we have out of kitchen for the children uh, cancer. Uh, the cure event in November. So far, you know, actually, we had a conversation this day with the my girls <laughs> with the chatting. <laughs> Everybody is so struggling right now. Unfortunately, this is a long time pandemic. It's really affect to everybody. This include us too. I thought illness is unbreakable, but you know, we feel fear. So right now it's like everybody just focus on ourselves, like, oh, how are we gonna survive this? It's a very different, just dramatically, very short term, we see ourselves instead of see more outside. You know, it's kind of sad, but it's which is this is true. This is really a fact right now. So, you know, but but Cody and I am trying to do as much as we can, like a fundraising. And that make us really, you know, feel like at least we can contribute to, to the society. We got some so much, especially Elena embrace us, our kind of, it's a unique and also that very odd style of food, but people really love us and give us so much credit. I don't know we deserve that much, but we, we luckily and gratefully, we got so much. So we try to contribute as much as we can. Um, but at the same time, it's a surviving mode right now too. But you know, as long as we're healthy, that's what I believe. As long as we're healthy, we can get through this. We've been through so much and there are the solutions. We had twice fire at Elum and all kinds of stuff we've been through for 11 years. But there was a solution. As long as you make money and you can, you can, you can fix the problem. But if somebody lose health, that's the, there's no solution. So right now it's like, okay, let's, you know, taking care of ourselves and just keep through, just, just keep, keep going through. I don't know. It sounds a little sad, but you know. Yeah. I mean, we always are doing things. I mean, we get, you know, emails and Jim and I, if somebody kids in contact with, with us to do charity stuff. You know, when pandemic hit, I was going out on my own dime and going to feed all the hospitals just 
I wasn't even doing barbecue. I would just go to the store and buy a bunch of stuff and show up at the hospital and did that for a while. But if you want to just follow Instagram at heirloom market barbecue at heirloom market BBQ and or at chef G only, she, she posts a lot more than I do. So you don't need really to follow me on Instagram. I'm just, I'm just there. Uh, we're always, we're always working on something and supporting our restaurant, believe, you know, it's not just supporting us. It's, I would say we have 20 employees and, you know, a lot of, a lot of family members and things like that. So just support your local restaurants. That's what, you know, with all these prices going up, we really want to, that's what makes cities unique. What, you know, is the small businesses and the small restaurants and, you know, like I say, Buford Highway restaurants and, you know, all our friends places to me to plug. I don't want to plug everybody, but I, I try to, even when I order through DoorDash, you know, I try to, if I order pizza, I'm ordering it from somebody that's a smaller business. And I've always been a big proponent of that, especially now, whatever helps our industry is something that, that I always will be, you know, behind. So. And, and there's a, I'm happy to see the generosity, you know, even though our price went up and sometimes I feel like, oh, wow, the people can afford this, you know, so, so worried, but people, very generous tip for our staff. And, you know, when I see like people cares, you know, that's, that's a beautiful thing. People care. I know everybody, uh, everybody, this is very tough situation, but people are still very generous. People still support. It's, it's really amazing. I could talk to you guys for three hours, but I won't <laughs> you. Um, but I really appreciate your time. And, you know, I love your restaurant and, and, both of you are just so great. And I really appreciate your time. Well, thank, you. thank you so much. You always posting um, small places in your uh, social media. And I really appreciate that your support for the locals is really, it's, it's, a, it's a huge. Like you help us, you know, put us on a map at the beginning of heirloom. You know, that's a, it was a huge, we're still talking about it. And we really appreciate it, you know. It, what you do is really important for the society. Well, that's the show. Thank you to Gian and Cody for joining me. And thank you to you for listening. If you want to keep up with Cody and Gian, you can find them through their website, heirloommarketbbq.com. If you want to keep up with me, you can find me as Jennifer Zeman or The Food That Binds on Instagram and Twitter. Next week, I'm joined by Chef Claudia Martinez, the pastry chef for Miller Union, formerly of Tiny Loops. We talked about so much and I know you'll really enjoy her. 